Well, guess we got to pack it up. This was so depressing for me, you know, when you're, when you're a pastor and you kind of make your living believing in God. To find out that he doesn't exist is somewhat disappointing. Um, and so uh, I was watching this. This just happened this week, and I was thinking to myself, what, what are the chances of having a series called String Theory uh, the week that they discover the uh, uh, Higgs boson uh, particle? Um, my favorite line in there was, uh, we can run the videotape uh, to pre-Big Bang creation. I would, I would love, to, I'd love to see that videotape that they're able to run. But here's the thing. Here's what happens. We watch something like that. Some of you were uncomfortable. Uh, some of you are uncomfortable that we actually showed something like that in church. I mean, we shouldn't even really mention Big Bang. You shouldn't do anything about, man, evolution, and that's it. It's the literal seven days. And so it kind of it brings this tension. It kind of brings this thing about, like, man, you know, like, what, like what, what, what's going on? And what we've been talking about in this series is the fact that God is bigger than all of this. That, that God, God knows exactly what happened. And in fact, we don't have a videotape. And, and when you begin to kind of get used to this type of, of, of talk and this type of, these types of things, you get used to hearing it. It may have been. This might be. It's apparently. In fact, they don't know either. And there are white papers being written, I, I'm sure, right now from another side that's saying, now, this, this, it, doesn't, it doesn't tell us anything. Well, what, what do we do? We've been talking about the fact that God understands string theory. Now, string theory just happens to be another camp of this physics. This is the, kind of the mass camp. They, they wouldn't subscribe to string theory. They would subscribe that particles are made up of particles that are made up of particles that are made up of particles. Of course, I don't know what he was talking about with the crystal because that's made up of particles, but oh well. Uh, it, it's just kind of their way of describing. God knows. God created us. And so... We're in this series, and what we've been talking about is that like, atoms are made up of neutrons and protons, and they got electrons flying around. We've been talking about what happens if you could get kind of deeper into an atom, and you could even get deeper into that, and that maybe you could find out what creates those things. And you know, we know about quarks and leptons and all that kind of stuff, but what if we get even smaller? What if we get even smaller? What if we get even smaller? Our God understands that, and it's just mind-boggling to me that he can go smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and yet go bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And maybe there are other galaxies or maybe there's something else or I have no idea, but God knows. And so what we've been talking about, and the reason we called it string theory, which was a, 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 an idea that our staff kind of came up together, was that you know, we, we love these kinds of discoveries because it, it points to us as as being able to, if we can figure it out, then it has no power over us. And, and it's interesting because we're, in, we're going to be looking into a book this morning uh, called Romans. And in that book, it says that, that man began to worship the creature rather than the creator. And so we think in kind of our 21st century mind, like, I don't worship any creature. I don't, well, I don't bow down to a cow. That's all backward stuff and, you know, American Indian stuff where they look at the thing. You know, we don't do that. We're smarter than that. But the thing is, the creature we worship is ourselves. 
we worship ourselves. We think when we make one of these discoveries or we create something big that there's, this is somehow some testament to us. The air just come on? Or is that just the outside? Man, that's nice. Oh, no, it's outside. Sorry about that. <clears throat> I think, oh no, it's coming. This is fantastic. I'm, hold on one second. I'm just going to sit right here. Oh yeah, that's good. Right, so the, the verse we've been kind of looking at all, all this, this whole time is this one right here. Colossians 1.17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Right, whether they discover string theory or string cheese theory, or they get the, the, the bosons, or they get even smaller than that, or they make some big discovery, and everyone's all excited, and this, this one really disproves God. Uh, they, they're they're going to keep coming with more and more stuff, because God is eternal. He, he, God is omniscient. God, God is immortal. He's invisible. He's omnipresent. To see creation, we're, we're not going to disprove God. This is why I believe that science and Christianity are not at odds together. I, I think Christia- science doesn't have a way to describe the faith that they're placing into things, but, and, and Christianity oftentimes can't necessarily describe the science behind everything. I think we're coming to the same conclusion, other than the sin part. Right? That, that science, the more we discover, we're not, I'm not threatened by this. I'm not threatened by any of it. God has got way more to go. We're going to spend all of eternity worshiping Him and loving Him and going, man, now I, just makes, now I understand. He's so big. And so we've been talking about this verse, and we're going to read it together because we've kind of been memorizing it together. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Let's do that one more time. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's before all things. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God just spoke it. Now, whether you're a young earth, old earth, seven days, seven billion years, whatever. One thing I'm sure of, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he spoke it into existence. That's just phenomenal. He's before all things. He's before mankind ever stepped foot or had feet. (laughs) He's before all things. And then the other thing about God that's just so weird is that he's a trinity. It's just mind-boggling how awesome he is. That he's Father and Son and Holy Spirit. we, We try our best to describe these things and we say it's like an egg or it's like a chord of three notes or whatever, but we can't describe it. And so what we're hoping to do in this whole idea of, of, of kind of worshiping at our core and trying to understand it is try to connect a little bit. That Our worship goes beyond just singing. Our worship goes beyond just coming to church and being part of a, um, a community. We worship a great, great God. And the second thing is that we worship a God that loves us, a God that wants to have a relationship with us, a God that created us for a purpose, a God that created us to be in communion with him at all times and then through the fact that he gave us free will and we chose to fall away from him, that that God created a way for us to get back into relationship with him. And all these things are reasons why we worship. All these things are reasons why we bow down before him. So what I wanted to do this morning was I wanted to show a kind of a concept um, that brings us from like Old Testament to New Testament 
And then uh, look in Romans and see how that kind of plays out. And the concept is that you and I are priests. Now, we don't think in terms of priests. Even if you're Catholic, you think of your priest as kind of um, pastor. But in the Old Testament, and the way God had kind of set up his structure of atonement, priests actually had jobs to do at the temple. And so there was the temple, and then people would bring, uh, in order to kind of make a sacrifice for their sins, to get them back in right relationship with God, God set up the sacrificial system, the Levitical system that the priests would have to do. And they, fortunately, Pastor Bob's here and now, and he can tell you all about it, because he was uh, teaching at Azusa, teaching in Exodus and uh, Deuteronomy, and he can kind of go through the whole Old Testament thing, which is awesome, because... Uh, I, I, it, I, that hurts my head. But, uh, and so, so, so they have this whole system. And so there were priests that did actual sacrificial service to God, and they were responsible for all sorts of different stuff. And so when we hit the New Testament, God, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke it into existence, the one who was before all things, and in him all things are held together, that God, now says to us, you guys are priests now. Let me show you. Peter wrote this. Peter was the guy who denied Jesus three times. And he's talking about God being like a cornerstone. God being kind of the rock. Jesus being the rock, the kind of the cornerstone. He says, you also, meaning everyone who's a follower of Jesus, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices no more physical sacrifice that was done by jesus on the cross once and for all once for all it says offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ one of the things that we read about in the bible when jesus was on the cross and he said it is finished there's this veil to the holy of holies and that was ripped from top to bottom giving us full access to our heavenly father without need of the sacrificial system. The only thing we need is a confession of our Lord Jesus Christ, and asking for forgiveness and asking that he'd be made Lord of our lives. And so he, he does this. And so we become these priests. As it goes on in verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we have this concept that we're priests, which is kind of weird if you think about it. Like in the Old Testament, they had these jobs to do. They had these things to sacrifice. They, they kind of had a movement. They had their own calendar. They had kind of their own little system. And now God's going, you know what? You guys now are it. And my job as pastor is to equip the saints, us all, for works of service. Not just to be some type of priest or some type of leader, but... Uh, now Bob and I together, our job is to equip you for works of service. So this is the concept. So keep that in the back of your mind as we look into Romans. And what I want to talk about is kind of set up what's going on here. Romans is a theologically rich book. It has a lot of doctrine in it. It's awesome book. But it's not the type of book where, like, you have chicken soup for the soul, like, Kind of if you want just little nuggets to make you feel better before you go to work in your quiet time, Romans is not the book to be reading, okay? There are other books for that. Romans is the one you read when you start to look at God and you go, man, really? 
Like, like it's, it's, it's kind of shakes you a little bit of like God is truly in control. And, and, and God talks about himself in Romans in a way that might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. If we're in the process of trying to just read the Bible to make ourselves feel good, Romans is not a feel-good book. And so what happens is 11 chapters of Romans come up, are, are, are kind of written up to the section we're going to look at this morning. Heavy stuff. Stuff about redemption, stuff about, um, uh, about the nation of Israel and how does this all work together and stuff about sin and about judgment and all this kind of, kind of stuff. So what happens is, after Paul writes these 11 chapters of doctrine, of theology and kind of heavy stuff, out of nowhere he just bursts forth with all this praise. He starts talking about the, his heavenly father like, like, it's weird when you read it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like he just, I don't know if this ever happened to you, where you were just sitting there and all of a sudden just the, the sense of God's greatness just wells up in you. Uh, sometimes it'll happen to me, I'll just start laughing, I'll just be like, God, you are so good. It's just amazing to me. And we talked a little bit about this last week about the spirit and truth and uh, so not to freak you guys out, but... Uh, so this is what happens to Paul. Watch what happens. He says this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. The New American Standard says, how unsearchable his judgments, how unfathomable his ways. There's this idea that Paul's just, he gets done with all this stuff and he's just like, oh, the richness of God. He's just beyond what we could ask or imagine. He's huge. So, so he, he, then he goes on and he quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13. And he says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Like, in other words, who, who, can, who can understand God? We can throw stuff into a hadron collider and think that when we get some type of results that we, we, we now can just go, well, that's, that's great. Well, actually, one of the things, one of the questions I have that I'm going to, if I ever die and go to science heaven, I'm going to ask the scientists, if this in fact was the particle that essentially blew up the universe, why are we smashing them into each other <laughs> to try and discover stuff? Is that not like a typical man? Like, yeah, we need more female scientists. Like, don't smash things like that. We could, it could go off, you know. Anyway, that's just a total side note. But uh, who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? Don't we want to become God's counselor often? I know I do. Like, hey, God, you know, probably be a good idea. If you, if you make this healing happen, oh, so much glory will come to your name. If we can, if I just get this promotion, oh, God, I'll have more ways to worship you with more money. It'll be awesome. Who became his counselor? And then he goes on. Who's ever given to God that God should repay him? That's out of Job chapter 41, verse 11. It's like, it's like Paul writes all this stuff, and there's God, the Holy Spirit, is just bringing to Paul's mind these verses that he's probably memorized about his heavenly Father. Because Paul was rescued on the road to Damascus and he was blinded and he had this uh, visitation from Jesus. There's just this sense of Paul as you read through all of his writings that he just gets so excited about being redeemed and ransomed by Jesus. 
And so this, this breaks forth into praise. And listen to what he says here. And this kind of goes along with the verse that we've memorized. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So all this theology, all this doctrine, all this kind of hard teaching, all this stuff that I know one pastor that was going through Romans and it took him two years to get through Romans because it was just so rich, whatever. All that stuff culminates in in Paul just kind of bursting forth in praise. And we would call that worship. And we'd say, you know, yeah, sometimes that's happened to me where I've just... God, you are so good. You are beyond all I could ask or imagine. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for your greatness. I, I know you've got me taken care of. I know you've got my family taken care of. And you just kind of have that. Paul gets kind of emotional here. Well, what's, what's the next thing? Because he ends it with amen. You, you'd, you'd expect the book to end there. And they kind of get put up on the shelf of like, here we go. This is, this is one of Paul's books on theology and doctrine. You should read it sometime. It ends with amen. But Paul moves forward. And this is the thing that kind of blows my mind when you look at the first 11 chapters of Romans and then you see this thing uh, with um, praise. He says, therefore, after all this doctrine and all this bursting forth about who God is and how you ain't going to tell him to do what he doesn't want to do and he don't have his mind and he's better than you, he's smarter than you, he's more attractive than you, he's, he's got everything going together. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, and that includes sisters, in view of God's mercy. Now, there's a few, there's just a couple things I want us to see here because we're getting right down to the thick of it. And some of you who've read your Bible a lot know, know where we're going with this verse. You might have memorized it. But he says, therefore, in light of all this doctrine, in light of this idea that, that from him and to him and through him are all things, to him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, and this is a great pastoral term. If, if you're a pastor, you understand this term. It's I beg you. I, I, literally, I come alongside you. It's what pastors pray for their congregations or when they kind of have a vision for where they want the congregation to go and they see a truth in the scripture and they're preparing for the Sunday sermon. In their mind, they're going, oh, I would urge them to get this main point. I'd urge them, if we could as a church just kind of grab hold of this, if we could get it in our minds, if we could understand it. He says, I urge you, brothers, in light of all this stuff, I beg you, goes on in view of god's mercy well what what is what is god's mercy god's mercy is the first 11 chapters of this book you would not believe some of the things that are written about our heavenly father in there and about jesus and about kind of the plan for salvation and and sin and kind of like how it all works together but there's many mercies in those first 11 uh, chapters love is talked about in chapters 5 and 8 it says that in, ver- in chapter 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God. That, that is a mercy, is it not? Nothing can separate us from the love of God? That's awesome. It talks about grace in chapters 1, 3, 5, and 6. It talks about the Holy Spirit in chapters 5 and 8. And in chapter 8, it talks about the Holy Spirit in verses 2 and 4 and 9, 11, 14, 16, and 26. Just all about the Holy Spirit. 
that is a mercy. It talks about faith 20 times. It talks about peace in chapters 1, 2, 5, and 8. It talks about comfort and patience and kindness and joy and redemption and justification. All these things that our God, our Heavenly Father, that no one knows the mind of and no, He doesn't know anybody anything. Earth is His. He says, therefore, by those mercies, by the mercies of God, and then he brings it right down to the most practical thing you could possibly see. He says, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. See, we're priests now. But the sacrifices that we're giving, we don't stand uh, in the holy place waiting for the family to kind of enter into the court of Jews with their sacrifices and we kind of take the sacrifice back into the other room and say, we got it from here, everything's fine. In fact, we become priests. And God is asking us, bring the sacrifice. You. Me. Now, now listen. Because many of us have memorized this verse and, and different versions and all this kind of stuff. And, but, but if we connect it together, it's a phenomenal concept that, that this deep theological God, this God that is beyond all we can ask or think or imagine, His ways are not our ways, and He's bigger than we thought, and from Him and to Him and through Him are all, all these things. He says to us, how you handle your body, how you handle your speech, and, and by body, it's not just, um, you know, we just tend to think in terms of just the physical, but it's our, it's our mind, our will, our emotions, kind of our physical makeup. How we handle ourselves is important to God. That blows me away. See, what blows me away is the connection of how important God is. And this is what I'm hoping we'll get in this series. How great God is and yet how intimate He is with us. That in fact, the way we live has an impact on eternity and in fact has an impact on God. He says, therefore, I beg you, I urge you, I come alongside of you. Whatever it takes, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, which means just set apart and pleasing to God. What kind of impact does that have on what we watch? You, know, you see, it, it, it takes this whole thing above the whole talk about is it right or is it wrong, do's and don'ts, should a Christian play cards, should a Christian dance, like all that kind of stuff the church used to be hung up in. It just takes it to a really deep theological level of what does your life look like when you're presenting it as a living sacrifice to God? Doesn't it just throw all that other stuff out the window, those types of conversations? We wake up in the morning and we go, God, what would you have me do today? My life is yours. Now watch what he says, because this is just incredible when we think of ourselves as being priests. He says, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And then he makes this radical statement. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
It's not what you're singing. It's not going to church, going to the temple, doing the sacrifice thing, or you know, if your church is more liturgical and maybe you have a reading and a responsive reading and all that, that's all fine. That's all worship. But the most spiritual act of worship, and this again is a Levitical term. This is you as priest, your job before God is to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. It's your spiritual act of worship. Now, on the one hand, that's kind of frightening. <laughs> it's kind of daunting because we have this God who's the creator of the universe, and all of a sudden he's interested in us. I mean, like Lisa was saying, like, God, God reads my diary? Like, man, how did God know that we wanted Jana here and all this kind of stuff? On the one hand, it's kind of frightening because you know, I, I know what I've written in my diary, and quite frankly, I don't want him reading it, right? On the other hand, Think of how freeing this is. If in fact it's true that he's the creator of the universe, that he understands string theory, that he understands any other discovery we make in the next thousand years or until the Lord comes. As Will was saying, do you trust him? Like, do you believe it enough to trust him with your very life? with every decision you make, with, with what you're going to do today? See, that's kind of freeing on the other hand. If in fact he's the God of the universe, and if in fact he created us for personal relationship with him. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is, un- unfortunately, it's, it's post-fall. The, the, the Adam and Eve had already kind of blown it. One of my favorite verses is when Jesus kind of shows up in the cool of the day to hang out with them. And they're hiding. And you just get that sense of, like, I just always ask the question, God would come and hang out with them in the garden? That must have been awesome. That must have been so cool. God shows up and he's just like, hey, guys, how's it going? How's the cultivation of my creation going? I was just up with the Trinity, it's, don't worry, you'll never get it, but it's all right. And he's kind of coming down. and He comes down and he's just like, Adam, where are you? He already knows. Begins this process of redemption and, and separation and all this kind of stuff. That God, the one that Paul is talking about here, oh, the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and unfathomable his ways, his ways beyond tracing out. That God wants to have a relationship with you to the extent that you make every decision entrusting your life to Him. That's worship. That's my spiritual act of worship. It's incredible. So it goes on. And let me just give you the one point because I always forget that. I'll put up the whole verse kind of, uh, verse one by itself. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of of worship. This is your act as priests. So <clears throat> on your bulletin, there's one point, and the point is, um, and I didn't write it behind us, but the key to a vibrant relationship with God is not getting all you can out of Him, not getting all you can, but giving all you have. The people I know who have the most vibrant relationship with God, the key to a vibrant relationship with God is not getting all you can 
It's not trying to experience them in a way you couldn't before and all that kind of stuff. It's giving all you have. It's knowing the Word of God and applying it to your life and going, I'm going to live for God. These are the people that, that when I'm around that I know, man, God is just transforming these people. This is what's happening. They're giving all they have to God. They're willing to take any risk for Him. Now, watch, watch the kind of thing that Paul goes on to say. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. That Greek word means don't be stamped. Don't, it, it, it's, it's where we get our word schematic. Like don't, don't look at the schematic of the world and go, yeah, that's what I want to become. D- don't be conformed to be stamped, to be molded. And you, you see kind of the pressure stamp of that. If you've ever seen how it's made, you know, uh, it, it's that kind of thing. Now I'm giving you too much information, but it, it, it stamps down, like, there it is. That's the schematic. It was already predetermined by the world. This is who you're going to be. He says, don't be conformed any longer to that pattern, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed is the word, we get the word metamorphosis. It, it's actually when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and his face shone, and it, Peter didn't know what to do, and he's like, should we set up camp here? And Jesus is like, get out of here. So it's like, it's like that, that is what he's talking about. Don't be conformed to the schematic of the world. Don't, don't live your life according to that kind of stuff, but just be transformed. As we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, going, you know what? I'm not going to buy into that system Again, not a list of do's and don'ts, but a a whole thing of like, I trust my Heavenly Father with my very life. Now watch watch the benefit of this, okay? It's unbelievable, the benefit. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Are you kidding me? The God of the universe... That, that, that understands string theory, that understands Higgs boson, that understands all that kind of stuff that spoke the world into existence, that from him and to him and through him are all things, that nobody knows his mind, nobody is his counselor. He's beyond all we can ask or imagine. I'll be able to test and approve his will? That's incredible. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In 1 Corinthians, Paul quoted this again, this whole idea of who's known the mind of the Lord and who will instruct him. He did that in 1 Corinthians again. And then he just says, we have the mind of Christ. Right after that, he just says, we have the mind of Christ. Listen, this is is it. This is what it's like to have a relationship with God. The great thing about it is it's not works. It kind of sounds like it. It sounds like, well, if you just every day you just muscle through and offer your body as a living sacrifice, you know, kind of just, you know, that then, then you'll be there. No, no, no. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. That, our salvation comes through that. But victory and just a fruitful life in Christ comes by denying ourselves. Galatians 5 says we crucify the flesh. We crucify it. We kill it in order to get to know our Heavenly Father more. As as Will comes back up and kind of leads us in a time of response, I want to remind you that this is the way it's always been. 
Even in the sacrificial system that God had to set up to try and get away for us to come back into relationship, the prophet Samuel said, look, do I delight in these sacrifices? You come in every time. He's like, not really. I'd rather you obey. To heed, to obey, to humble yourself is better than the fat of rams. It's better than that sacrifice. All along, God, that's what God wanted for us. In Psalms chapter 51, verse 17, it says, The sacrifices of God, if you really want true sacrifice to God, it's a broken spirit and a contrite heart. That's the sacrifice God has been looking. You know what that is? That's our very selves. So here's, here's, my, here's my challenge to you as, we, as Will kind of leads us in the song. Is there an area of your life that you haven't thrown on the altar? Is there an area of your life where you're kind of holding back a little bit? You're going, I, I, not this one, I don't even know. You know I, I, I've, been, I've totally been there where I felt like I don't even know what my life would look like without this. Like that's, that's how entrenched it had gotten into my life. Like, I don't even know what it would look like without this struggle. And over time, and over accountability, and just being to go, okay, you know what? I give my life, and then just to be freed from it, and to experience God in a way that I hadn't before. 